This episode is sponsored by Enriched Superfoods. Enriched is my go-to store for the most powerful, most pure superfoods on the plain et. They've got all the good stuff from maca to matcha, from shilajit to powdered greens. But you know what I love the most? I love the mushrooms. Now I know what most of you are thinking, get on with the show, right? But I know what else you're thinking. You're thinking, how can I get better at strangling people? Us jiu-jitsu guys, we're all the same. We want to be better, we want to be badder. Well, being better requires two things, learning more stuff and being able to execute more stuff. And Enriched has got you covered with what I'm calling the white basement jiu-jitsu super stack. First is lion's mane mushroom to supercharge memory, focus and clarity and even better, give a neurotrophic boost literally helping you grow new jiu-jitsu brain cells. Now, a jiu-jitsu super brain is all well and good, but if you can't execute on the mat, then it don't mean jack. That's why the second half of the super stack is the legendary Cordyceps CS4 mushroom extract, scientifically proven to offer heroic levels of stamina and energy, as well as improved lung function, actually helping you breathe better while you stop other people from breathing at all. Go to enriched.co, that's E-N-R-I-C-H-D.co, and use the promo code WhiteBasementPod for a 10% discount across the whole site. Want to get more taps in more rounds and more respect from more people? Then get super stacked. Go to enriched.co and use the promo code WhiteBasementPod. I know that I, I don't want to redline my body because what I realized in the beginning is I was going to jiu-jitsu all the time, double sessions, doing five, six a week, and I felt like I was getting worse. Um, and I couldn't recover. And if you're not recovering, you just roll rubbish and it just almost becomes this pattern. Um, I think more deliberate training has worked better for me. And being a bit more rested and recovered means actually I have better sessions, I learn more, and I'm less likely to get injured. guys welcome to another episode of the white basement podcast uh, follow us on instagram at white basement pod and follow white basement pod everywhere where you get your podcasts youtube spotify and everywhere else today i'm joined by tom sparks who's an osteopath uh, he is like uh, all the best people a jiu-jitsu guy no gi but you know i, I let him off with that <laughs> one and um we, we connected via Dominic Walsh uh, at Militia, um, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, episode 21, I think it was, uh, 25, 25. So if you want to listen to that one, it's episode 25 with Dom. And uh, as soon as we finished the podcast, I said to him, uh, if you know anyone else who would be good to get on, uh, let me know. And straight away he said, oh, you need to talk to Tom. He's yeah, a really, uh, nice of him, I feel. he's an interesting guy. <laughs> so welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate um, it. So... Yeah, I, I I looked through your quickly through like your Instagram mm -hmm. and the links for the um, uh, osteopathy practice, mm -hmm. and um, you're a busy guy. Try to be. You yeah. got you got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, try to be. Yeah. So so um, maybe a good place to start. I mean, often a good place to start is with a little bit of history. Mm -hmm. So so maybe um, if you could talk a little bit about Just your kind of picture. Yeah. Yeah, your training history and mm -hmm. and your osteopathy. How you got into that, and you know. We go from there. Yeah, so I suppose, at least professionally, I started life in uh, strength conditioning before 
I retrained and went into power practice. I think uh, when I was working with athletes, you train athletes, inevitably they're all getting injured. Sometimes out of your control, they get palmed off to someone else. You have no control over that. And I thought, oh, I fancy being able to do both. Um, so retrained, did my degree and master's in osteopathic med, um, which was hard, pretty intense. It was surprising. I think most times, you know, you, you kind of hear osteopathy, you know, in, in brackets of like physio and chiropractic and things like that. But it's a medical degree, like you cover, cover a lot. So that was pretty good. Then straight into private practice, I kind of got like quite a good job out of uni. I went straight into to sports medicine because I think inevitably, maybe just me, you think sports the the place, the mecca where the ceiling of, of therapy exists. Um, but in sport private, it was it was quite eye-opening for me quite quickly. Um, the sort of private model of health and money, I kind of felt quite conflicted, like I was sort of saying a little bit beforehand, where, you know, if you're trying to do your best by your patients all the time, but there's like a, well, you know, you should be seeing your patients X amount of times. So I, I didn't completely like that. So then sidestepped and went completely in sport, and that's when I was working with some of the Great British Athletics team. I was doing, uh, I was sort of lead osteo for them, helping them with their SNC as well, which was really good fun. I got to work with a lot of up and coming British talent, which have started to emerge now at being at like peak peak level. There's a couple of names, I won't say any names, but some 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 really nice, you know, national and international medals. A couple of my guys made the Olympics as well, which was nice. Um, and then I took a bit of a sidestep, actually. I wanted to, to um, travel a bit, but I'm a bit of a man of creature comfort, so I need to be able to eat. I need to have access to a gym. I can't just be backpacking around. So I uh, went to see one of my best friends in Edinburgh, and I, I sort of went past one of, the, one of the gyms, and they were advertising for a sort of sports fitness manager, and I was like, oh, I'll just go in and ask about it. Did an interview that day, they offered me the job. So um, I just made a move to Edinburgh on a spontaneous. Um, at least that was the entry, just a salary job to take me there, basically. Um, so how, how old were you then? I think that was 27. And so how old were you when you did the degree? Oh, I was quite late. I started when I was 21. Right. So you'd done, what, like three, four, four yeah, years? Yeah, so I graduated of... in 2015, 25. Right. Worked for two, three years and then... I think so often it's quite a good way to come to a degree with a little bit mm. of life experience and having done something yeah. slightly different. So you don't I, end up being really just narrowly focused. Yeah, I was... I was my mum, my, my bless her, she... Uh, I thought she was quite brave because I did my first year A-levels. Um, so like year 12. And then I was like, mm, I don't really want to go to school anymore, mum. Do you know what I mean? And... Uh, well, she's what are you doing then? I was like, I just want to go and get a job. She was like, oh, okay. And I thought, I mean, that was quite quite brave, really. And uh, so I went away and I, I did a lot of like uh, my own qualifications and so forth. To, to that was of, a strength and conditioning Yeah, stuff. yeah. Like, like I think they're, you know, 10 weeks of that, four weeks of that, working alongside. So I was working from, yeah, 17 to, to 21, pretty much straight through. And, and again, that's through exposure to people and environments and athletes and uh, other clinicians. You know, I'll probably shout out Andy. He's still probably my clinical mentor. Once I met him, I was like, oh, that's something I, I really want to do. And then I was all in. So ironically, didn't like school. Once I decided, I was all in on school. Do you know what I mean? And, and if anything, I've done like six years of education since. I, I think funny. that's often the way. It's not that you don't like school. You, you just haven't found what Good you're thing. interested yeah, in yeah. pursuing. Yeah. So, so 
I'm assuming from looking at you and looking at your Instagram, you mm. you were in the gym a lot already. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, right from the start. I think uh, yeah, my 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 if we want to call it an athletic career um, started in rugby. I was I loved rugby. I played really high level rugby when I was young, and then unfortunately around the time when we were having this these chats about Saracens trials and things like that, we were having like a last. Um, training session you know just to freshen just kind of feel like you're in the zone you know you kind of going through with the other guys who know what that process has looked like before and um had a really bad knee injury um two of the three of your what you call the unhappy triad of of knee injuries you can get and um that was it and i had knee surgery and back then i think i was 15 then surgery and rehab isn't what it is now then so when i came back I wasn't the same player. My knee would gap all the time. And that was when I was like, really, that used to really get me down. I don't even watch rugby still because I feel a bit jaded. Mm. Um, and then naturally just kind of went into the gym, right? And then I was kind of just lifting for a bit, nothing too crazy. Just, you know, I think like all teenage boys want to get bigger, stronger. And then one guy come up to me in the gym one day and was like, dude, you, you, you're pretty freaking strong. Like, have you thought about powerlifting or anything? I was like, I don't even know what that is. And then um, kind of sort of he spent a couple of afternoons with me just going through the sort of specific type of techniques for the for the comp type variations of, of powerlifting lifts. And we did a bit of a, a, a sort of, I don't know if you want to like a pretend meet type situation just so I fill it out. And he was really impressed with what I could do. So I was like, well, you should enter competition. So I did. And I won the British at a junior level first comp so I was like oh. and, that, and how much sort of specific powerlifting training did you get in before that not a huge amount it was just from your kind yeah, of general gym because that, that's just to, just to be clear not Olympic weightlifting so it was squat bench deadlift yeah. so the technical quite it, even you see a lot of people down doing a lot of just powerlifting competitions because the, the skill level required mm -hmm. for those mm -hmm. moves are quite low so it was mainly bench press I'd say and then like the cues like you know, like if uh, you did lift and you, you lift, you have to wait for your downward cue and then you put it down. But I was thinking like more for like uh, in terms of your, did you have did you have much chance to modify your training as a, you know, because oh, you were probably not doing not bodybuilding then. training. Yeah, yeah, it was more that. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so it was, it, I was lifting for lifting sake yeah. and because I, I'd already trained with, with S&C, you know, that was kind of what I knew. I still knew how to, to go and get strong, but it wasn't powerlifting specific. It was yeah. still, still way away from that. So when I went in first comp, like I still had loads of, of breathing room. So I think I finished juniors at like 640 kilo total, I think, at about 86 kilo body weight. So I was in the 90 kilos and no weight cut or anything. And then a year later, I won the senior with, with 700 kilo total. So I'd add 60 kilos that year, but that was purely from the fact that I could then make it more specific. Yeah. And did all the did you techniques. add body weight or no? You were at the similar Two kilos weight. heavier that year, yeah. But still the 90 kilo but still 90, bracket yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah my, I was always well known for my deadlift. I think some people, were, you know, my squat was good, my deadlift, my bench press was good, but I always then just leapfrogged everyone at the end with a deadlift. So that was my deadlift my is, would be the third lift. The last lift, yeah. And if you do powerlifting uh, competition, do you have to do all three or is there some uh, separate? There are some separate. So sometimes you can do individuals. You do bench only or deadlift only. Uh, and some meets kind of do like a bench deadlift combo. Um, and then you get the full 
comp, but you, you're kind of, um, so let's say, for example, I was competing in the normal full powerlifting meet. I could get some random guy, 90 kilos, doing bench only, right? even though he might put up a huge bench press. He's not doing anything else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it does come into it a little bit, just in terms of like on the day, your fatigue, your nutrition, caffeine, et cetera. So, so how old were you with the juniors and then that first senior so, one? think 23 24 and then up to 25 i was straight in the seniors so that was when you were just starting the i was coming to the end of my masters of, then. The, of the osteopathy and i i feel like when i look back and think i was doing like 7 a.m to 7 p.m including travel and i was training like that like it makes me feel ill now because like at 33 i can't do that anymore wait till you get to 50 oh i don't yeah so uh yeah so that was kind of like um that kind of time and then i kind of put all that to bed in in some ways after I graduated. Because I think then I had my own ideals clinically, right? I'd seen people get really injured and I knew that I needed my body to be in clinic, for example. So I couldn't risk being injured. I couldn't push to those extremes. I knew that maybe if I wanted to compete at that next level, then 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 I'd have to go down that anabolic type route and that's not something that I wanted to do. So... Mm. I just thought, I kind of got bow in, bow out. Some of my old powerlifting mates always joke with me and say, you know, they don't really rate me because I was only there for a little while. I kind of came, I did a bit of a thing and then left. Um, but uh, yeah, I just didn't want to go to that place. So then I just delved into other things. And so um, so, so then that the, the next uh, sort of step was getting up to Edinburgh, was mm -hmm. Edinburgh? Yeah, and, yeah. And how long were you there doing the gym so job. yeah, I'd only, I think I arrived sort of October, by the time I was, I got there in September, I started in October, rough start, my best mate and his uh, now ex-wife, I moved in with, with them, it just, uh, they offered it, um, but I got thrown out after about three days, because his wife at the time was, was pregnant, and I think she just didn't like me around, so I had nowhere to live, then I lived in a hotel for three weeks, so it was a rocky start, but we were there, so now I was up and going probably by by October and then I was probably only working from October till January and then a lot happened with, with my mum and stuff so then it kind of just derailed the whole Edinburgh experience for me in some ways. You want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'd, 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 arrived, I'd arrived in Edinburgh. Things were rocky in the beginning but, but all right. Came back at Christmas and uh, my mum was sort of reporting a few symptoms to me while I was up in Edinburgh. Like, oh, Tom, I'm having... Bit of stomach pain, and I'm like, oh, is this happening? Is this happening? And she's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you, you know, you're hungry, you're not eating, and like, you're losing weight, things like that. And I was like, oh, it doesn't look good. Mum, I think something to do with your gallbladder. Like, go and have a little look. And um, she she basically went in, they were like, oh, look, they've done a scan, you've got golf balls in your gallbladder, you're going to have it out. And I was like, oh, annoying. Another surgery, mum. Start fixing up, please. Um, and uh, we thought that was that. And then came home at Christmas and she looked really not good. Like she'd lost a lot of weight, clearly a lot of pain. But the unique thing about my mum was because she, she had um, rheumatoid arthritis, she was on quite strong pain medications, so like tramadol and stuff. So she would have been in a lot, a lot of pain, I think. But so like even her soldiering, her to report that much pain was like, you're already on morphine, do you know what I mean? Mm. So it wasn't good. Um, and I said... You know, I just want to be done with this surgery, mum. I'll come back. We'll help you out. But after this, we need to like really prioritize your health, you know, and look after yourself. So went back and I think pretty much two weeks later, she was like rushed to hospital, jaundice, and um 
there's there's one video I have which is like one of my favorite videos and it's from when I surprised visited her my sister told me I left work I didn't even say enough just left flight home was a beautiful thing about Edinburgh 50 minute flight and uh, she was in the toilet and I came in the cubicle waited for her out the door and then she was so surprised to see me so happy to see me um, that's all captured on video and I kind of still keep that because that's like a real genuine thing um, she she was really happy and then uh yeah, we just, I was like, bloody hell, mum, what's going on? Do you know what I mean? Like, let's just get it sorted. And again, the guy was like, look, we just need to get in there, get this stent open, get the gallbladder out, we're done. Um, so I was like, right, fine. So I went back a week later, another call, never forget it. Mum's got cancer. And I was like, fuck's sake. Like, I was in bits and I was just like, right, I need, I'm, I'm coming back again. Went back and then... Um, Kind of was in a bit of a strange space then because obviously I just sort of started a new job. I was running in there for, what, three months-ish. And then I'm, I'm down with my mum trying to figure things out, but things are escalating really quickly. So I'm like, can't really give them a definitive answer. So I ended up being there for, a, for about three weeks in the end. And it was just weird seeing my mum, like, a bit sick of it. Like, this is some, this is long. I'm like, right, mum, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to just come back home? Do you want to... I was, like, trying to gear up, like, you know, we'll all shave our heads, like, it's cool, we're going to just do this together, I'll come back. And she's like, yeah, I want you to come back. And I was like, fine, we'll sort it. And then we were being moved around a bit, and the doctor was like, yeah, your mum's not well. I'm like, well, what do you mean? This is not what I've been hearing. They're like, no, no, your, your mum's really not well. And I'm like, even my mum doesn't really know this. So there was a real big mix of communication. I, in, in hindsight, I wonder if... It told my stepdad, and my stepdad was just holding that back a bit, maybe to to look after us, whatever. And then just just like that, she deteriorated so quickly. Like I remember her being coming quite delirious. I remember she was she was all over the place on morphine. And again, thankfully, because I, I was slightly medically trained, I was like, Look, I think she's not responding to morphine well. Her liver clearly it's not up to the task. Um, swapped her on fentanyl, and then she was a bit more coherent for a bit, but she almost like zipped me out everyone she wasn't speaking it's like she gave up she couldn't believe it the shock of it so we didn't really talk much for two weeks and then then that was it she was she was gone and I, I was a there's a noise that just haunts me sometimes where when you're starting to like um systems are shutting down you're retaining fluid there's fluid on the lungs that kind of raspy breathing that bubbles under the breath on the out breath that's what she was like for a few days we moved her to an Isabel Hospice. And I always feel, I, I genuinely believe, I'm not like a super spiritual cat, but I do believe in that moment my mum kind of let us all have a bit of a rest. Because we went to, they weren't sure she'd even make the trip to Isabel Hospice, but she opened the Isabel Hospice because she was the mayor of where we, we lived at the time. So we thought it was fitting. She always wanted to be there. So we, we took her there. Thankfully, she made it. We got her. And they were like, everyone, she's fine. Everything's okay. Do what you need to do. We all managed to sleep for about an hour or two, woke up, had a bit of food, all came back in the room, and then within five minutes, she was gone. It's like she almost let us, because I was struggling at the time. I felt so exhausted, so stressed, I couldn't concentrate on her, and that was almost pissing me off. And then we were, I, was, I was right next to her, holding her hand the whole time, and then that was it, gone. Just can't believe her. Just like that. It's wild. Yeah, it's crazy. It's wild. And then... Uh, when you think of like the dynamics of what that really means, you've got I've got my sister, my stepdad, you know, then then everything else that comes and that legacy that follows grief and everything else is just. Yeah, it's. I think it's difficult. You know, if you. I think I think it's difficult. I mean, if you lose a, a parent, any time, mm. especially when you're younger, 
Um, but I think it's also difficult. Like my, my dad died when I was 18 from a heart attack. Yeah, wow, that's young. Yeah. But then that's sudden. Mm. So that's like I'm on my Saturday job. Someone says, oh, there's a phone call for you. Mm -hmm. Go, you know, whatever. Go to the thing. It's my mum. She says, your dad had a heart attack. He's in the hospital. Yeah. I'm coming to get you. My sister was younger, so my sister was, I don't know, 17, 16. Mm -hmm. And um, got there and he was dead. Yeah. So, you know, on the one hand, that's, that's, it's difficult because it's so sudden. It's such a shock. Like, you know, the first, like, week, you, you, yeah, you don't, you, you've, kind of assume, oh, my dad, my mum, whatever, they're going to mm -hmm. be around. Whereas something like cancer, even if it's fast, mm. you, you start thinking in your head, okay, this okay, the yeah. end is coming, maybe yeah. it's a week, a month, a year, but you you, you Start to rationalise it a bit, don't you? Yeah, but then on the other hand, my dad was on the golf course. Mm. So if I think back about it, I think, well, it's, it there's worse ways yeah. to go. Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas sort of deteriorating mm. with something that's like a terminal illness... Mm. Is is a less nice way to go. I mean, my my two two of my friends recently over the last sort of couple of years um, have lost their dads to cancer, mm. uh, lung cancer and prostate bowel cancer, and you know just sort of them. I, I they they didn't speak much about it, but just sort of saying you know like you you wouldn't have recognised like my dad by the end. You know, just yeah. look like the same person. I mean that I can't really imagine. How no. difficult that is to 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 watch someone that you care about yeah. deteriorate and not be able to kind of do anything. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I, 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 there's two things for me there. Like one, my mum from by the time we kind of found out to when she passed was three weeks, but she wasn't responsive within two. But she didn't talk. So like for me, even though it wasn't sudden, sudden, the reality was sudden, mm. but I couldn't. Like I still am a bit angry at her, dare I say, because I couldn't, she didn't tell me that she's like proud of me or whatever, you know. But one of my best mates, for example, his his mum passed over a three-year span. Mm. And like, I almost feel like in some ways, I don't know if I could watch that either. So it's like whatever situation you get in, it's like pick your poison. I think they're all yeah. like horrendous. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Um, but that is that is part of life, right? That, that death and losing yeah. people. I mean, it... it it is it is yeah. part of life. I mean, it's it's something that you have to ex accept and just sort of yeah accept. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing else you can do. You, you obviously mm. you got to work through it, however that is for you. Mm. But well, I've realised it's like uh, it's just whoever your person is because like sometimes people say, oh, like you know, like they've lost their grandparent or something, or I lost my cousin or. Oh my god! But you lost your mum. I'm like, well, whoever your person is to you, if you lose that person, I feel for you because, yeah. you know, like I, you know, I'm, I'm not don't necessarily have my real dad in the picture. I have a bit of a strange relationship with my stepdad. Um, you know, I've not, I don't have any other connections like that. So, and I've got a small family, so there's no one else apart from my sister. So, my grounding person isn't there and so like for me i feel really cheated in some ways i still have waves of anger ironically my anger is worse now i'm a father because mm. now i'm doing all the firsts again um you know and i have to 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 see to see my little girl not have a the other half of the, that grandparent and i can't share that you know what i mean but in yeah. a way it does sort of slightly connect me back to my mum in the sense that like you know she used to tell me i was a little 
hard work at times and whatnot. And then when my little cherub has given me a bit of grief and I'm getting a bit stressed, it it makes me feel in that moment connected again. So it's kind of like a weird, weird thing. So yeah, grief's been 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 almost defining for me, to be honest. And how how long ago was that then? So yeah, f- it'll be five years this year. Five years just gone in February. So it's not actually that long. Not really, no. It's not that long. I mean, with with my dad, my my dad now. I mean, it's it's thirty two years, thirty three years, and I would say for like, well, e- even now, very 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 occasionally, I have a dream that my dad just went on holiday for a long time and didn't tell us mm. and then he comes back mm. so but at the beginning i mean i'd have that dream like every two three months yeah for, for a few years and then it just became like less and less, less. and that might be like once every five years and it's not even you know when i wake up i just think oh yeah you know i still remember my dad kind of thing yeah but, it's interesting because i feel like i the way that i think about it's changed so much because i know obviously there's various stages of grief and i but i feel like you can cycle through all of them in a day in a month in a year over and over again and i feel like um when i think back to like the first two years like that that i was like so low like so like horrendously down depressed if we want to use a word like that you know um and then i felt like i had a bit of bit of momentum where i really invested in recognizing that at that point and i think i'm someone who would deem himself quite emotionally intelligent and i'm aware of myself and how i feel and i intend to know why um but i even i recognize like i i need help so i got help had a lot of psychotherapy quite intensive amount of psychotherapy um, just because I could afford it at the time. And um, I really then rode a bit of momentum for for that year. And then I felt like I was starting to feel happy again after I got past the whole feeling guilty about being happy and all that. And then met my now fiancé and, and so forth. So I kind of ran with that. And then I had like a good year and a half-ish with moments of feeling sad where I got engaged, for example, and we bought a house together and these the landmarks... Um, but then since having a daughter, I'd say that I've gone backwards a lot with my relationship with my mum, at least as an internal narrative. I, I can't think about her. I don't want to think about her. There's no pictures of her. You know what I mean? I'm a bit put out to the side for now, you know? Well, you don't have to do it all in one go. I mean, no, no. You know, I, I don't have kids, but I'm assuming that having a kid is like the, probably the biggest mm. change from, from everyone I speak to oh. or listen to is just, you're one day you're a different person from the next day right like the this last year has been wild how how old's your daughter right approaching 14 months i don't want to be one of people who goes oh she's 14 months old but it's anyway to sort of describe where she's at developmental wise but um yeah i'd I'd say i'd say parenting has i found parenting easy for all the reasons i thought initially i wouldn't be good at like, so the practicalities of being dads, you know, nappies, doing this, doing that, whatever. I, he's, I don't even think about it. That's fine. No issues with it. I'm really involved. I've made sure that, you know, again, why I'm back in private practice is to, to allow me to have been really present. You know, I don't, I'm not, you're not, not discrediting the fact that some, you know, some dads have to go out work all the time, but being in a self-employed nature, I can come back at lunches. I can be around for, for everything. So I've enjoyed that in part. But I also, I feel really honest and comfortable to say that in a lot of ways I haven't enjoyed it because I'm quite selfish in the sense that there's a lot of things that I need, training, jiu-jitsu, a bit of my own time, even time with my missus, that I, that have been taken were taken away from me, right? So I didn't have any of my outlets. So there's this juggle. And then I, I think in the beginning, 
kids don't give back to you. And unfortunately, <laughs> for me, I, I kind of want to feel that two-way connection in some capacity. I don't mind if it's way uneven, but, uh, you know, it, it just feels like a lot of hard and a lot of situations where you're not getting anything. So I think for me, at least, which surprised me, made me a bit feel funny about myself. That bond didn't come straight away. And I think a lot of people don't always talk about that. Um, and then, ironically, as time's gone on, especially now, I like love her so much. Like it's so interesting how like once you connect, you fall off. I can off see from your Instagram. I just spent like it. one minute on there. And yeah, I was like, oh, this guy's loving being a dad. I, I, I it's weird because like it, it, now she's becoming a person. Now she's sort of a little personality. I mean, it does help that she looks like me. I think if she didn't, I'm like, oh, you know? <laughs> so it really grounds me. I, want, I often ask myself if I had a son, would I still be the same? Do you know what I mean? And then how I react to certain situations. But let's say, for example, you know, she's kept mummy and daddy up multiple times in the night. I'm like, it's my night and I've got a train tomorrow. And I'm like, this is some, this is some, this is horrendous. I do this thing where if I can't, if I could hear her screaming, but I can't see her, it like boils my blood. Like I, I find it difficult. I find it so triggering because I'm so used to being able to control the situation in myself that like if I can't match her needs and I can't figure it out, I just I find I don't know, I just find it really triggering for me. I just flick the light on. And just as soon as I see her face, gone. I don't know. I feel like I need that. It's just a weird little hack I've had to just negate that initial frustration and then I can be like, oh there she is, there's my little bubba, you know, come here. Do you know what I mean? And it's fine, it'll be okay and whatever. So yeah, no, but it's been super challenging. But now I think finally, like even in terms of my relationship with my, my, my fiance, she won't mind me saying that, you know, it's been been challenging because you just, you don't have time for each other, you know. And then finally now, you know, she's walking around, playing, personality. We can really enjoy her together as a family. We're starting to connect again in a, in a, in a meaningful way. So it all feels happier in the Sparks household. Do you know what I mean? So... Now I feel like it's all good and not not bad. Till the next one. Yeah, Comes yeah. Well, well, I don't know if we're doing <laughs> that. I, I'm, I feel really confident to say that me and my missus probably have, would say that it's been tough and we know that it's been tough, but we both secretly wanted a door. We've got her. We're really enjoying it, but we also want our own time. Yeah. And I think for us now, kids are expensive. Childcare is just a ridiculous amount of money a month, 1500 pounds a month. Yeah, it's a joke. So I just think even from an affordability, I don't know if we can afford another kid either. Yeah. So... You know, we're we're kind of content, you know, because she's. If we were thinking about another one, we'd have to be thinking probably maybe trying to get pregnant this year. And I just think, nah, we're both like, nah, Not we're yet. okay, we're okay, yeah, for now. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so um, it, as far as then in terms of work after after your mum passed away, yeah. So, so you did you move immediately back into like private? Um, so yeah so again I had to do the same thing so in the transition between mum passing I was still living in, in Edinburgh of course I, I had I, I, I had a lease on a uh, like a flat and, and all that jazz so I was sort of contractually obliged to, to be there for a bit longer um, and that was kind of where I saw home in a way it was separate as well um, and in that transition between her passing there was no will either so that made it really muddy with my stepdad and we were sort of working our way collectively through all of that stuff and once we kind of got to uh to a point where 
I knew me and my sister were, were, would have something. That's when I we came back down and I bought a house of my sister. So we had a bit of a hub um, to sort of just a bit of space. And that was in Ware, um, in Hertfordshire. Um, and then obviously with a, with a mortgage, there was an initial salary. And at the same time, I wasn't quite ready to go into clinical practice straight away just because I think you have to, you, you, the nature of clinic is that you, you, people are a bit more vulnerable with you because they're in pain. Pain is grounded in suffering. So you've got to be a bit more present. You, you have to give a bit more emotional energy when you're interacting with patients. So I wasn't there yet. So I just swapped for another fitness role. Easy, could do it with my eyes closed. Um, managed uh, HQ, David Lloyd, the, the headquarters one in, in Hatfield. And just sort of worked there for a little bit just to find myself again if we want to say it like that um and then i sort of stepped back into to clinic um but then obviously lockdown changed so, the situation yeah so, that, well, so, so when did you go into clinic then that, just so before I, yeah just re-upped my um registration yeah um and then lockdown so right. that was like oh what am i gonna do now right so i did a bit of a sidestep where i needed to, to obviously earn money but there was obviously only so many I can't remember what it's called, essential key workers or whatever, yes. essential industries. Yes. Uh, and I had a I had a good friend at the time who had a, um, uh, a mechanical engineering company. So I did something completely different. I'm like getting stuck in, doing a bit of groundworks, building, on, on, on like operating cranes, all sorts. It was actually quite fun, uh, to, be, to be honest, because it was a great summer as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, so, yeah, it was a good summer. Um, you know, it's kind of, kind of utilised that. And I think because... I think, you know, from like a construction type situation, because I had management experience, that kind of blended me into earning all right during that time. And then pretty much once we were kind of coming out of lockdown um, and my missus and I decided that we were going to buy and I was going to move, I just stayed in that job just a little bit longer, just to get a mortgage. Once I done that, I went straight back into private practice. And, then... and, and uh, osteopathy is... Generally, you guys are all kind of like self-employed, effectively. Yes. Are there any companies? You know, because I mean, I'm an mm. optician, right? Mm -hmm. So optics is much more like generally you go and work for a company, a small yeah, yeah, chain yeah. or a big chain or whatever. They're, obviously, you can locum mm -hmm, and you can mm -hmm. do your own thing. But I think with osteopathy, there, there's I, I know a few people that are osteopaths and they will just practice on their own. Yeah. So yeah, it's it is. So there was no like furlough payments or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, it, it is. It, it, I'd say the majority is still self-employed, um, but it is slightly changing. I think that's probably due to the fact that um, physiotherapists they're struggling to sort of retain physios because the NHS are kind of obviously overburdened and the perks aren't always there anymore and. Obviously, there's money to be made privately if that's kind of your your gig, right? So they've opened up um, osteopathic roles on the NHS. So I was a senior clinician for the NHS for a little bit as well. Um, but I just think for me, that's a whole other thing where you know that you, you're so restricted by time, and it's like if by the time I've gotten all the paperwork, seen you for ten minutes, see you in ten weeks, it's so uninspiring for me. I was like, yeah. sorry, I can't do it. But that that that, that situation, that that sort of like. PAYE situation is changing. Um, sort of subcontracted parts of NHS, Connect Health, things like that. They're offering salaried roles now, but they weren't when I graduated. So I'd say Osipovy is a bit of a safer place to be now if you want guaranteed income. But obviously, and can you split? Are there are there a lot of roles where you could say go do PAYE two yeah, days a week? I, I then... was doing two days NHS and then the rest private. Now I do 
four days private, one day PAYE where I'm teaching at uni. So yeah, just again, so it kind of gives you a little bit, bit of, of flexibility. Yeah, right? and I think when again with all jobs, you weigh up that that the reality of like you know work life balance. I think that's probably been made more obvious after lockdown, for example, where you have to decide like from a monetary value point of view, if I'm going to give up time, is that money difference worth it? And and for me at the moment, I feel like I earn enough where I also have got a lot of time. Mm. So I can I can train and I can be dad and I can have the weekends and evenings and things like that. So um, for me, that's kind of where I'm sitting at the moment. I, you know, I know that when Immy's off to school and stuff, I can always dial it up a bit more. But or for stop me, that, playing golf. Yeah, or golf, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but I've tried, tried to play golf. I, I just, don't play golf. I don't get into it. it. I couldn't get into it. Not for me, yeah. Shit to me, nah, but, same, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, okay, so... Um, Let's let's roll it a little bit then into training mm-hmm. and um, and and if 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 you want to say maybe kind of training for jujitsu because this originally started off as kind of like a jujitsu mm. and general podcast I mean yep, it's ended yep, up yep. just being various things but I'm I'm always interested to um, get opinions from people either who are well qualified or well experienced mm-hmm. or have sort of um been successful in other physical fields mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. powerlifting mm-hmm. And, and this mm-hmm. kind of thing um to to try and build like a like a framework of what your training for jujitsu could or should look like um to, to be kind of optimized, you know, whether mm-hmm. you should just be on the mats every day or mm. whether you should be um, doing supplementary strength training or whether you should be doing cardio or mm. whether you should mm. be doing prehab, you know. Do, do you, I mean, well, let's start with what, what, what does your kind of weekly or monthly training look like at the moment? Yeah, I'll, I'll do me after, but okay. I'll, I'll preface it with this, right, because I think it's slightly contextual depending mm. on who we're talking about. For sure. So hobbyist versus competitor, someone who's a stud and bendy in their 20s versus, say, someone maybe like me, mid-30s, dad, then someone a bit older, do you know what I mean, who's been in it, doing it a while, where they're at. So I think depending on who you are, certain things become more or less relevant, right? I'd say if you're a bit younger, then, you know, the physicality and the strength training and, and, and the, the flexibility type stuff is probably going to come a bit more natural to you, probably less than a requirement. You maybe just focus on the skill-based stuff. But I think as you get older, you've almost got to be a bit smarter. Uh, and even if you're a hobbyist, you know, you can be a bit smarter, but weigh up skill acquisition versus attributes. So, for example, for me... Um, I, because I've trained for a long time, I have a degree of physicality, even when if I don't train that often. So I only do two gym sessions a week, one upper, one lower, that's it. That's basically me with no real intent on getting stronger. That's just me saying I'm just trying to maintain my physicality where it is. And and what does that, the, the upper and lower, what, what does that look like in terms of... Um what exercises and yeah so and forth. also sort of sets reps are you doing kind of bodybuilding type of stuff or lower yeah so i'd say then we might be talking about training volume training volume is its own thing so like let's say for example a, a, an intermediate or advanced lifter could probably benefit from around sort of 15 to 20 sets max per week per per body part 
as a, as a maximum amount of volume that they need, probably, roughly. But that might differ, right? So in one session, those two sessions are quite long because I am trying to hit a certain level of training volume that I might not do for someone else or recommend for someone else. But just to sort of maintain roughly where I've kind of been. So I might choose, and I'm always choosing big bang for buck exercises. So when I say that, I'm talking like your typical compound moves, you know, your broad actions. I think, for example, um, I've felt historically like even if I've got a huge bench press, I don't necessarily feel like that translates to jiu-jitsu for me more than if I just kept like a really good overhead press. I feel like that gives me way more in terms of my sense of strength and physicality when I'm on the mat. So I, I've kind of rejiggled that based on how I feel versus what I know I'll get back. You know, because if, if, if I can do one exercise, I want the exercise to be something that's multiple joint, big ranges of motion that I don't have to spend as much time on. There's always, yeah, I call, I do the same in clinic. There's like generalist type things. You know, if you look at any, any uh, sports team, athlete in the world they're all squatting they're all you know pressing they're all rowing they're all deadlifting you know but they'll do other variations that might be specific to them on top so everyone could benefit from push pull lunge squat press variations maybe scale them to you or your mechanics or your injury history for example um but ultimately then we want to add a little bit of say tom on top of that so mm -hmm. for me and how i move or me and my injury history I might do a few things I wouldn't recommend to anyone else, but I just feel like I need to do to look after my knee or my my right shoulder or my back or whatever it is. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So in that context, I think if I was to give advice, I think if if the average person, majority of people who are listening or do jiu-jitsu are probably hobbyists, I'd say that you want your gym to reflect your broader needs as you. So they're, you know, those general actions that will help you be fit for life as well as jiu-jitsu, but don't forget to maybe add in the little bit that's specific to you in light of your injury. So let's say once you've ticked a few boxes and you've, you're someone who's had a bit of a history of knee pain, then maybe dedicate that little bit extra time at the end of your session towards goals to making sure that knee feels strong and robust. And so I think for a lot of people, you know, they, they will be quite comfortable with saying, okay, I'm going to do, um, you know, like you say, push-pull, mm -hmm. vertical press, yep, uh, vertical yep, yep. pull, you know, these sorts of things. But in terms of um, the, I don't know, 20%, 25% that you then tailor to your own specific stuff, mm -hmm. is that something that you can coach people on with like a couple of Zoom calls? Do you, would you need to see people? Would you need to put your hands on them? to? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I coach a lot of people from afar as uh, long as I've got videos and, and I call it like subjective feedback. So I think whenever you're doing something, you, you'll always get a sense that something feels right or doesn't feel right. And there's things that like mechanically should and shouldn't happen potentially with a move. So let's say, for example, you put press both hands overhead. Your mid-back, for example, is not free to move left and right because both arms are competing for the spine, right? But if I use just my right arm and reach really far overhead, I'm going to side bend to the left, for example. So that's something that we could use for someone if they had shoulder pain. Right. So, for example... If you did two-hand press, you if you had shoulder pain, you might find it easier to access a single-arm press because your mid-back can help your shoulder move, for example. So that's where 
I might, based on someone's feedback, Tom, I've had a bit of a shoulder history or a knee history or something, we can make exercise selections that biomechanically I can predict. I will ask them to try it, video it, based upon how it looks, how it feels and what they say back to me, then we can rejiggle. Because sometimes you people move in wonderful ways, right? And they don't do what they should do. Yeah. But again, so, so would you would you sort of have a like a a little bit of a formulated triage form that you would say to someone, can you give me this information or would it be more like a call? Almost like a case history. And, yeah. Like yeah. a, like a call. Yeah. So I think, I think where like, let's say if it was you and you said, Oh Tom, I've, I've had a history of knee pain. There'll probably be some clinical questions where like, I need to make sure that the knee is safe to load. And then I might ask you, okay, well, what does, if I ask you to do a squat or a video a squat or a lunge or these lunge variations, can you film them and feedback to me how they feel? I will marry what I see with what I feel and then maybe come up with some solutions based upon that. So so perhaps then you would need maybe like three sessions? So one initial, yeah, one to do some stuff and come back to you and then mm -hmm. maybe like a follow-up in six weeks to see if it's working? Something yeah, like most, that. most people are, I tend to interact with quite a lot in the short term. Because I think whenever you're creating a bit of a program or whether it's nutrition, S&C or rehab, whatever, you kind of need a lot of contact time to really get the details. And then once they've got a bit of momentum, it's almost a bit of a wait and see. Because inevitably, dare I say, with even with rehab, a bit of pain to a degree might be normal. So it's just letting them get on with it. And then we come back and review. Um, and then I interact with people less and less over time, obviously, as they kind of just get get do it, do the work. Do you mm. know what I mean? Because, I mean, a lot of people, specifically with, with jiu-jitsu, I mean, I'm sure with other things as well, but a lot of people, when they get into it, I mean, mm. they're training a lot. Yeah. They're doing, you know, four, five, six Going days a week. Mm. And, I mean, I, maybe maybe you'll agree or disagree, but I think jiu-jitsu, in terms of um, requiring, like, everything in the body to be working properly mm. there's nothing really that you can neglect no. you're 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 using everything because yeah. you know you're generally you're starting from standing so mm. there's that there as well mm. but i mean everything is is sort of under a lot of stress and tension and pressure is unpredictable yeah. you need a lot of stability i think um, when i look when you look at maybe the risk factors associated with injuries in jiu-jitsu predominantly they're usually skill level of you skill level of your opponent um and maybe whether or not this is someone you trust or high, you know the high levels of fatigue potentially because i feel like i could roll for an hour back to back get my ass handed to me by black belts and be nowhere near an injury and i'm probably going a hundred percent maybe 110 percent um but then you know someone might react who's a, who's a white or a blue belt and just move weird and then i'm like cheers my knees popped thanks mm. do you know what i mean so i think in that context like the way that i would recommend it is like if you're entering a jiu-jitsu space it's quite high function we call it like high function moves or high functionality so and it's really specific too so i'd say generally speaking knees backs hips are probably like those priority areas at least in the beginning where people are getting injured unless there's traumatic i rolled my ankle that those sort of things happen you can't necessarily negate them but um you'd almost want to prepare yourself to do something so sometimes like let's say in clinic you know even with runners people will do the couch to 5k 10k or run marathons and they've literally come off the couch and they're about to do marathons right now the skill level at running's not that high 
but the physicality consistently builds. And then as their intensity builds, they get niggles and injuries because they're not perhaps moving or not strong or anything like that. So in the beginning, you've got all the enthusiasm in the world, but no technique to fall back on. And then there's the lessons associated with ego, et cetera, that we, you, know, you, know, you, you sort of migrate through too. So there's a lot of things fighting against you physically. So my recommendation if you go into jiu-jitsu is like, be fit for jiu-jitsu and that might be an evolving process. So you're not going to suddenly be mobile overnight. You're not suddenly going to be stronger overnight. But I think going in with the intent that actually I'm probably going to get like beaten up a little bit, but I just want to trust my team, trust my partners, don't have to dial everything up while I work on these things. Sometimes things happen, but if you've got a narrative that's throughout your first or second year in jiu-jitsu where you're spending deliberate time to just get a bit more mobile in key areas or that relate to you or your injury history, as well as a generalized strength plan that doesn't need to be excessive, that's just saying I need to be a little bit stronger than my respective sport so that the loads aren't relative maximal loads, I'm probably covered. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and so so broadly then you could you could maybe say two days a week in the gym, mm. upper body, lower body, like like what you're mm-hmm, doing. Mm-hmm. Um, with whatever it ends up being, 15 work sets across body yeah. parts or whatever. And then as far as the, because you, you said, which I think is probably right from my experience, like back, hips mm. and knees is is like the vulnerable areas. I'd say in. the ones I've seen the most. Yeah, I mean, I've done my disc and I've always got bad knees. Yeah, I my, think that's a right. reflection of our lifestyles, right? So when people walk into the clinic and see me, most people are probably going to have stiff hamstrings or a stiff mid-back because we don't explore those ranges, right? So it's the same thing if you you know, we're, we're stiff general for life and then we go in and try and invert on our heads, you know, wonder why our neck feels rubbish. Do you know what I mean? It kind of makes sense, right? So um, that would be sort of my my take. I think the thing is, I, you know, I deem myself as a hobbyist. Um, so I take it seriously, but I'm, I am a hobbyist, right? I, I'll go to jiu-jitsu three, four times a week maybe. But I know that I, I don't want to redline my body because mm. what I realized in the beginning is I was going to jiu-jitsu all the time, double sessions, doing five, six a week, and I felt like I was getting worse. Um, and I couldn't recover. And if you're not recovering, you just roll rubbish and it just almost becomes this pattern. Um, I think more deliberate training has worked better for me. And being a bit more rested and recovered means actually I have better sessions, I learn more, and I'm less likely to get injured. So I think it's just recognizing, we all get excited, uh, but I mean, I'm approaching my fifth year now. I realize it's a long time to really master jiu-jitsu. I think once you take that pressure off, or once you've reached a level of skill where you can have a conversation in jiu-jitsu and roll with someone regardless of level and do do the moves or understand what's going on, you can just slow it down and think, okay, I'm here, I've arrived, let's just do the right thing. Or, you know, better isn't more, like better is better. Do you know what I mean? And once I slowed it down, Bit of, bit of training, like I can always do more gym, but I, it doesn't translate to better jiu-jitsu. I'm more tired. So I've found that for me, my life, dad working two gym sessions a week is enough for me. I get three or four gyms, jiu-jitsu sessions and I can recover. I feel good. I'm no close to injury. I never feel like I'm redlining. If comp was coming up um, or competitions are coming up, I'm thinking, right, we're going to get stuck in. Then if I dial up my training slightly for four or five weeks it's only for a short period of time i'm unlikely to really do anything do any harm do you know what i mean and and so if you if you were 
coming to competition, mm -hmm. and let's say you you six weeks out, you decide, okay, I'm going to going to prepare. Is that increasing the gym work, the mat time, or both, or what, what I, else would you kind of tend to do, try and do differently? I think it's stepping back and being really objective, right? I'm not going to get objectively a lot stronger in six weeks, so gym might become less relevant. I'm not saying I wouldn't, I, I still would, but just I'm not necessarily trying to push. It's just I might just do a little bit. I'd probably spend, recognize that I can improve my cardiovascular fitness quite quickly, respective to mobility or strength. So, well, I need to do a bit of cardio here and then spend more time on the mats, obviously, to really get your timing down and get, get those hard rounds in, put the clock on for 15 minutes, not five minutes. Do you know what I mean? Um, and make it a little bit more deliberate to the attributes that I need in competition. And so, so that, yeah, that change, one, of, I'd say. one of the things then, then that that I would was would like to hear your opinion on is mm -hmm. is what what you would do or what you think is a good way to train cardio, mm. because what I've found is in terms of so 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 normally when I roll I roll for an hour. So mm -hmm. the sparring classes I go to are an hour. Yep. When we train at home, we train an hour, and we mm -hmm. just. You're just on, you know, you're either, it's either two of us and we just go for an hour with six minute rounds, you know, with mm -hmm. like one minute break. Or if there's three of us, you do the three minutes, three minutes, three minutes. So you're training six, resting uh, three. And I find that that, that is, um, that, that keeps me in good shape in terms of being able to do jujitsu yep, for yep, an yep. hour because I'm doing jujitsu mm -hmm. for an hour. Mm -hmm. But as far as my like supplementary cardio, I I feel as though doing things like going for a three mile run or mm -hmm. skipping for half an hour or whatever isn't really super productive because it doesn't really simulate what you get in a round. Mm. So so. All I really do for cardio, I mean, I, I haven't been doing much at the moment because my shoulders have been bad. I've had tendonitis, both elbows, yeah, various yeah. things. But I would do like um, uh, sets with a kettlebell mm -hmm. where I'll do maybe like 10 swings, 10 cleans, 10 yeah, presses, suck, 10 yeah. squats. So something that maybe lasts about two, three, four minutes mm -hmm. and then a rest and then do it again. Or what I try to do probably like four days a week is I've got a little hill around the corner from me. Mm -hmm. It's a 30 second run up and mm -hmm. a minute and a half walk down. Nice. So I'll do three or four or five or six or seven, depending on how I feel yeah, yeah. of those. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting up to probably not max heart rate, but close yeah, yeah. and then recover a little bit and go again and recover and go mm -hmm, again. Mm -hmm. And I find generally, I mean, I'm sure the next time I go and train, someone's going to just wipe the floor with me but i find generally i don't guess yeah even when i'm rolling with good guys mm -hmm. quite often i feel them getting out of breath a little bit Quicker sooner before, than yeah, I yeah, nice. and i feel like I, I feel like that translates really well mm -hmm. to rolling because generally it's a bit explosive and mm -hmm. then you get in a position Mm -hmm. Top, bottom, you're somewhere, the other guy's somewhere. And then it consolidates for a minute and then something happens and mm -hmm. then it consolidates again. So I, f I found that in terms of cardio, trying to emulate that rather than just doing, okay, I'm going to do half an hour on a treadmill. Yeah. I, I don't know whether you've got thoughts yeah, no, on that. No, uh, cardio is really interesting for a few different reasons because the fitter you are generally, even if it was non-specific, um, you recover better from exercise because you're generally not wor as working as hard. Yeah, so if I can deadlift 300 kilos, even if I deadlift 200 kilos for reps, relatively, that's not that heavy for me. 
so I would recover quite well. But someone else, that would be near a maximum. They're going to take longer to recover, right? So being non-specifically fit, and what I mean by that is doing things that don't look just like jiu-jitsu, um, can have carryover because you've got generalised attributes. This is like the GPP, right? Louis Simmons is general uh, yeah, so preparedness or whatever. Yeah, it's so it's like, let's say, for example... Let's say you just like were a bit of a runner and you just okay, you know, you just casually improved your 5k time 25 minutes. You're never really going to be rolling much longer than that for any one round, and that was getting faster. Your generalized heart rate was coming down relative to your intensity, even though it doesn't look like jujitsu, that would still carry over to your body's ability to, to regulate at a nice level when you're rolling. So, for example, during lockdown, I, I like everyone got, did loads of running and I went back to jiu-jitsu and, I've, and I felt unbelievably good even though it didn't look like jiu-jitsu but I think just because I had that ability to ride a level of heart rate for a period of time and then my intercept recovery I'd only need a minute or two between rounds and suddenly I was back so those attributes came from something that didn't look like jiu-jitsu so cardio could be both and i think you're unknowingly doing both because you're doing some circuit based where you're redlining to a level but maintain it which is your steady steadier type cardio and then you do your capacity yeah that we call that capacity or intensity training where you're redlining so you're going up the hills maximizing your heart rate and then within a minute bringing it right back down so fitness is can i sustain a level capacity and fitness is kind of ride a high and come back down nice and quickly and if you can do both of those i think it carries to the mats because that that there are moments in jiu-jitsu where you are moving and cycling retaining your guard framing moving and then suddenly it's like oh i can wrestle up on this guy and then your bit of power and then you know your top half smash and he can slow down bit of breathing do you know what i mean yeah. so it's all there so my recommendation would be I think generalized cardio will mean that you recover better from weights, from jiu-jitsu generally, because you won't be working as hard. Um, but then you want to at least have some elements of mirroring the extremes of that. So like the sprints, for example, you probably are getting close to maximum, even if in jiu-jitsu you're not always getting close to that maximum. And then you want to maybe marry it together with jiu-jitsu total. So for example, when I've done purely more rounds to get fit for jiu-jitsu, weirdly i feel like my body conditioning gets better i don't feel like my muscles work as hard but i still feel quite chest hard work whereas when i did a lot of running i felt like i wasn't maybe using as much physical power when i was rolling but i could i could roll non-stop so i just think if you can marry those attributes that mm. would probably be you know what you're describing as optimum but that could look like circuits with weights that could be the rower and just doing rounds. It could be sustained. It could be hill sprints and hill runs. It could be split 1Ks. It could be just winging out a fast 5K. Or it could just be go, doing more rounds, six-minute rounds, seven-minute rounds, 10-minute rounds, put the clock on for 20 minutes. Do you know what I mean? And, and you, would you say it, it would be feasible then to, to um, change your, your gym work a little bit so you're maybe doing like supersets or things so that you get a bit of cardio? Potentially, yeah. So for me, just me personally, I, I feel like I would almost like, I feel like I'm, I've got a level of strength that even if I didn't train for a month, I'd still probably be quite strong for me. So I would think my biggest attribute that I need to gain would be my cardio. 
So I would almost, for me, just think, right, I'd probably have a generalized cardio pending. People's knees are fine, probably a run. Not much more than a 5 or 8K. Um, and just aim to improve that generally. If it, if it, my knees were a bit sore, then I'd probably opt for a rower. I love a rower for that reason. You do 500s for, for 30 seconds or a minute rest between 10 rounds, that'd be lovely. Because again, that's legs, arms, a bit similar to jiu-jitsu Great. in terms of the action. Exactly, yeah. Especially if you're a gig guy. Um, and then I feel like um, then I would, again, just probably spend more time making it seem more realistic, more specific. So then like sparring rounds, just lengthen those times or do more of it. Um, but I think for, for some people, they might be quite fit already. So then it'd be about, okay, how, what to me, oh, Tom, my grip goes, my arms are burning. So maybe just maybe in the, the last weeks, you know, you're, you're conditioning yourself to supersets to recreate that kind of sense, you know, or go in a bit fatigued. Do you know what I mean? You could even dare I say, um, go to the gym and then go to jiu-jitsu, you know, go roll fatigued and then you have to rely on your yeah, technique. I mean, quite often, do you know what I mean? That's what I do, you know, yeah, it's I'll quite do a smart my, way of doing it. my training before, because we've got the gym at home. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if I know someone's coming around at six o'clock or someone's smith comes on a Sunday morning, like half nine, mm. but I normally try and start training about half eight. Mm. So I'll go do my heel runs, do some kettlebells, do whatever. Not, mm. won't go nuts, but yeah, you know, I'm, some, I'm, you've had some work. Yeah. And then, and then roll because yeah. then, you know, you, I, I if, do find then when you actually go to to compete, or if you're re, like really fresh, you do feel yeah. like well, I've got like an extra gear now. Yeah, that's it. I think that's the difference. I think like I, I'm quite used to going into jiu-jitsu quite tired. So a, I feel like I have developed a better bottom game for that reason. Um, but two, I also feel like um, when I'm super fresh, like I is I feel weirdly good. Uh, and it's it like you say that extra gear feels quite nice to go to and i think sometimes if i'm like i don't know sometimes i get lucky some of the grapple fest black belt guys um some of them are quite big quite tall um so obviously if they're small sparring smaller dudes all the time sometimes they ask me i know i'm being ragdolled but that i can give them a physical look so they invite me down sometimes if i know that's on i'm like right enough in four days i'm going fresh you know so i just uh, i'm with you there and i think in competition you just want to turn up with that feeling like when you're rolling like i, I have it way harder yes. in, in in the room that it feels quite nice the only thing i'd say in competition is probably first match you've got shitload of adrenaline yeah you've got to if you can get through that first one yeah you're usually pretty good after that point you know yeah i mean another thing that, that i i've have found has been quite useful in that way is i i don't drink coffee i don't have any caffeine yeah. because if i have i love it but if i have it i become reliant on it yeah, like if yeah. i have, if i have coffee say two days mm -hmm. it takes me a week to get back to being fine mm -hmm. without caffeine so we were on holiday recently mm. and i had a coffee with breakfast every day yeah, and nice. it was beautiful and then, you know <laughs> i sit on the beach and i'm all fresh yeah, and yeah, yeah. colors are vivid and everything but fuck, man, getting back to work. I know. It, I, I'm, it's, it's I'm quite funny with caffeine too. I limit myself to, to less than about 150 milligrams per day anyway. It, well, how much is in a coffee? Is that like I think about, coffee? yeah, between 60 and 80 milligrams in a coffee, I'd say. So it's two, so maybe two, two coffees. Two-ish a right. day as a maximum um, for the same reason. I don't want to ride that line where I feel reliant and it messes around with my levels of fatigue in a day. But I also recognize that if the beans kept me up all night, and I want to train, I want to make sure I'm there. Because if, if I'm being honest, like, 
I want to make that session count. So sometimes I might time my caffeine accordingly. But anytime I'm not training, I don't have any caffeine in the day for the same reason. I don't overboard it for the same reason. If I was competing, I would not use caffeine until maybe like the last end of my matches because you'll get adrenaline first couple. You've got bigger divisions than me. Yeah, I've yeah. got like one or two fights. Yeah, but if I had like four or six fights, I'd probably be looking to drop caffeine around four Right. Four fight in, so I'll, I'll normally maybe like 20 minutes before just mm. have like a little, I little just hit. need a tiny bit, like a slurp of coffee. Nice. It'll be in a flask and then suddenly I feel like... Yeah, ready to go. Let's go. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, nice. It's nice. good fun. Um, so um, you are training now regularly at Marlow. Marlow, yeah. RJ Marlow. RJ Marlow. How's that? I'm loving it. I, um, as I say, I moved to, to South Oxfordshire two years ago and and at, for a bit of time I was a bit fell out of love with jiu-jitsu for a little bit so I didn't race back to find a club when I decided to brush off the gi and the cobwebs and all that and I had a look around I, I tried about three or four different jiu-jitsu clubs in and around fringe maidenhead Reading, and Marlow and um I settled on Marlow f- for two reasons one it was I had the hardest rounds there and uh, I think you know, um, if you want to get better, you don't, I don't want to be a, you know, a big fish in a small pond. I want to be, I want to get exposure to good guys. Right. So they've, they've got like five black belts, number of brown belts, you know, the, the, the purple belt roster is always growing, you know, so it's a deep club. Um, and in the environment, I just loved it. Uh, I think for, for me personally, when I look back at where I feel like the biggest difference for me in terms of my enthusiasm towards, training would be would be that environment like the people the the vibe like that that culture that's created so yeah i, I would um i love it i love it now I'm and you in. and you said uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording that mainly you're doing nogi yeah so it's weird like when i first started um i loved nogi and didn't like the gi i think that was purely down to the fact that if you've got no skill and you are a bit got a bit of an athletic prowess about you to a degree. You'll you'll prefer no degree because people can't slow you down. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> it's more in the absence of technique. This is I, I prefer this. And then I end up falling in love with the gi. Actually, I, there was a time where shout out Erin, um, my old my old uh, teammate Erin. We we were kind of just became friends and we would drill all the time and work all these ideas and do our own homework and stuff and. I loved the gi then. And then um, one of my uh, dominoes, Josh, as well. Josh was kind of like our no-gi leg lock guy who used to teach us. And um, and uh, once we were exposed to the dark arts, I was like, you know, I was lured in. And then I started really enjoying no-gi. I came back when I re- when I joined Marlow, for example, after a period of time off where I slightly fell out of love. I kind of was like, I don't enjoy the, the gi at the minute. I love no-gi. But rather than put any pressure on myself to like, oh, I should really do the gi as well and this and that, I was like, whatever. As long as I'm doing jiu-jitsu, that is, that is good. So I'm like, most of my training, 95% is no gi and I'm really enjoying it. But I've been jumping back in the gi a bit now and I'm starting to enjoy it again. So I think you go through waves. I just don't want to be that purple belt, puts a gi on and gets roughed up. You know what I mean? By, by, yeah, by I mean, I mean like, you know. like we sort of said before, that I think they are, I mean, I, I barely do any no-gi. I'm, I'm pretty much only training the gi. But I think they, they, are, they are almost two slightly different mm. disciplines. And, and I think as, as 
they because because jujitsu really is is a very new uh, discipline. Mm. It's a very new art. I mean, effectively, you know, it's it's thirty years old from UFC one. Before mm. that, no one even knew what it was. There yeah, was no yeah. one training. I mean, I remember Nick Brooks um, telling me, you know, when he sort of first started training, mm. and they would go him and I think like Chris Hearn and various people, you know, they they would hear, oh, there's this guy in Coventry mm. and he's a blue belt. And they were just like trying to wow, get hold yeah, of this yeah. guy, get on a train. He's got some skills. Yeah, go go up. And, yeah, you yeah. know, in, in those days, someone who was a blue belt was a black belt. Yeah, yeah. Like, someone who understood, you know, side control, mm-hmm. neon belly. Yeah, what, yeah. This, this was, you'd never seen anything like it. Mm. But I think, you know, it, it's, it's such a new art and it's, it's changing. So, you know, every six months, every 12 months, mm. it sort of evolves. And I think they are kind of going... To, to, to end up being two slightly different yeah. disciplines. You know, there's obviously it's sort of a, a carryover. Mm. But I know if I if I roll occasionally um, no-gi, mm. there'll be sort of decent white belts or low-level blue belts mm. that will just be all over me. Mm-hmm. Whereas I know if it's in a gi, as soon as I get a grip or a couple of grips... Mm. It goes really slow, and yeah, I can yeah, kind of yeah. control the pace, and it can be a bit frustrating mm. and whatever. And I, you know, I, f- I f- find for me personally, being light and being old, mm. and having you know a few sort of niggling injuries, yeah. I f- I feel that it's kind of a safer mode of I, I practice. Would, I would for actually me. agree. Yeah, I actually think minus the hands, um, because. I'm obviously in clinic all the time. I kind of need the use of my hands. I like I have kind of grips can definitely make my hands hurt, and yeah. that's annoying for me. Yeah. Um, but I, outside of that, I agree. I think it's more controlled, probably safer. And I think in the long term, gi is something that's accessible for everyone. Obviously, no gi is too, but just in terms of the the nature of no gi, it's faster, it's quicker, and things like that. You know, you can't control your opponents quite as easily. So that means if you don't trust your opponent and, you know, those, those yeah. other risks that we spoke about might go up, right? Um, but I, I really, I really admire the gear. I really appreciate it. And I think I still watch it at high level and I'm like, that just looks ridiculous, you know? Um, but I just think what's beautiful about jiu-jitsu sometimes in the gi, no gi, is there's so many different styles within gi and no gi you can play. There's a bit of personality there too. Yeah, very So much. I feel like just who I am, where I am at the moment, what I like doing, the stuff that I enjoy learning, you know, then there I like to learn and I am infused by the stuff that I'm doing in no gi at the minute. And, you know, I'm sure I'll come back around. I've got um, some of my old um, teammates like Liam, for example, he was, he's always been in the gi. He doesn't do too much no gi these days, but he's now meddling masters, purple belt, you know, medals at Euros and all sorts. So he's great in the game. He mash everyone up. But and the, are you are you trying to compete regularly? Yeah. So for me, like competitions, kind of this weird thing where I'm really hard on myself. So I think because I've been competitive in the past, like I'm of the mindset that if I do badly, it's not because someone else, it's because of me type thing. So it takes me a bit of momentum to g myself up to compete. And I think last. Last year, for example, when I had at that time seven month, eight month, nine month old, I was gearing up for a bit of a run with competitions. Hopefully, going towards a, a British at, at my respective belt level, um, just for the just for just for fun, right? Um, 
so I, you know, I was, I was cutting back down weight and pushing and I, I made weight. I was feeling really good. And then I had a really impromptu injury from a white belt. Um, my knee went and that kind of like really pissed me off. And then I kind of lost my momentum. And then since then, now I'm just kind of of the mindset. I've signed up for free comps this year, already done, already paid. I'm in, I'm going, um, but I'm going in at heavyweight. I don't care. I'm just just going to turn up. I'm not overthinking it. I'm not going to try and wait. I don't for what? I don't need to. Do you know what I mean? I'm a hobbyist, man. Like a weight class or two here and there is not going to matter too much. Do you know what I mean? So, how how much do you walk around at? Um, I vary between eighty eight and ninety ish. And and what's the bracket for heavyweight? I think heavyweight's not, uh, under ninety one. Oh, so yeah, for you t- could probably to make, make light heavy if you cut medium it, heavy. It? I think medium heavy would be like. 83 84 that that would be me being very very lean yeah so for me to get to that place yeah i'm trying to be very competitive at that level so i think at my level i don't i'm not i don't need to i just think once maybe i go higher up the ranks and i'm really trying to compare myself versus people in masters one at my age at my belt then i might but for right i mean everyone sort of starts to get a little bit heavier when they get older yeah weirdly i think this last year i've sort of grown a little bit with less training yeah. i'm just a bit more relaxed a bit more food a bit more just not not so trying to look super lean all the time or whatever my body's just matured a bit again and i kind of feel all right a bit bigger i mean it just is what it is yeah yeah i'm, I'm always remember nick saying because nick used to compete um at feather mm-hmm. and i think nick was probably six foot maybe six one it was mm-hmm. quite a tall mm-hmm. guy and he used to compete at Feather, so 70 kilos. Um, but, you know, when I was training with him later on, he was probably like 85. Nice. Like a lot of beer. Yeah, yeah, A yeah. lot of giant yeah. kebabs and <laughs> like a bit of a belly, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember, I remember him sort of saying, you know, with Nick, everything was like half a joke Mm-mm. and half, no, he's, he's telling you something, yes. you better listen. I, I can remember him saying, if I'd have known how easy jiu-jitsu was when you were fat, mm. I would have got fat a long time ago. Yeah. I because, feel like... you know, being, being sort of having a bit of weight is, is it makes a massive yeah. difference. I don't think there's a sort of, you know, there's there's no surprises that like the heavier weight classes in jiu-jitsu tend to be less skilled, dare I say, respective of well, the smaller diff- guys. It's different skills. Dif- different skills, yeah. But like, if you look at like... Um, super super heavyweight, say like at a higher high level, you know, there's there's this clearly a sweet spot. The small guys might be the most technical guys out there because the gap physically is so small. They've got to yeah. be faster, quicker, and all that. But I suppose the bigger you get, you don't, you might be able to rely on some of your attributes and physicality a bit more. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, for me, for example, um, it was drilled into me very very early when I started. My old coach just used to like never be physical never be physical never be physical and in the beginning i found it like a real hindrance obviously but in time it's allowed me to be a lot more technical and then this last year i've my coaches are now like now tom it's time to be physical but be physical at the right times yes so now i'm only being really physical if i really need to snatch up a little position and it's all tight and it's all pressure do you know what i mean so it's not just being physical all the time or being heavy it's just it's pressure because i think you can be heavy and not have pressure yeah and then you can see small guys that just pressure you and you feel like you're being crushed and they weigh 70 kilos yeah. and i'm like how am i getting like this feels horrendous yeah. you know so i think there's there's obviously levels right but 
I do think, generally speaking, if you're a bigger person, if you go into a room of people and you're like one of the bigger guys, your your physicality can can mask a few gaps in your skill, um, and that's just the reality. Yeah, it's it's difficult because, but you know, me always always having been light and you know, generally if I go on the mat, I'm like mm. the smallest or one of the smallest mm-hmm. people there. And so you can't rely on any kind of like yeah. physical prowess. Maybe like a bit of cardio. Of so maybe I, I can feel like I'm engine. going to try wait this guy out for four minutes mm-hmm. and then try and smash them for the last minute. They're a bit tired, whatever. Mm. But, but otherwise, you know, it is it is sort of skill based. But then you kind of you get to the point of like, okay, like I think my skill is quite good now. Mm. Now we'll just like a bit of physicality, but yeah. it's. You have to accept, no, you know, mm. I'm not going to be 80 kilos or be, you know, have a even a 200 kilo deadlift. You mm, know, it's mm, mm. that's that's just not available. I think really, you know, the 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 ideal is that you start training when you're younger, oh, when you're smaller, and you yes. don't have the physical side, but you've just learned the patterns mm. and and the technique, and then grow. Yeah, mature, like if you look at like like Cole, for example, he, he's obviously gone. Blue belt, world champs, purple, and now brown. He's killing it, right? He's not a brown belt, he's a black belt. But um, he, even him, skeletally, if you watch him two years ago to now, he's like just manning out, and but he's still moving around like he's the stick, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's scary looking. So, yeah, I think this is the thing. I think we'd all, in hindsight, with jiu-jitsu being quite new, I wish I started this when mm. I was younger. Um, but in some weird ways, I feel like you've got this at least I feel like where I'm at, I've got this kind of nice level where I still can hang. I've still got a level of physicality. I can still accrue a lot of skill and have my time. Do you know what I mean? It's not all, all gone, but I think there's a, there's a maturity about being slightly older and rolling that you might not get until you get there yeah. that I feel like I'm learning alongside at the time as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do, you do More have respectful a, of my body and others. Yeah, and you have I a different... Should. I mean, you know, I, I generally have a have a, the mindset now when I'm training of I'm just happy that training is is available to me. This is it, That yeah. I can wake up in the morning and say, oh, you know what, I think I want to go class tonight rather than thinking, oh, I really want to go class, but, mm, but. I can't go because of this or yeah, that or that. That's you it. Know? So yeah, and I, and I mean, that's I think that's the same always when you're young. Mm as you get older with everything mm. you know when you're young you think right i'm going to conquer the world i'm indestructible everyone's whatever, the same go, right? yeah i'm going to do this i'm going to be better than michael jordan i'm going to yeah, be yeah. better than you know <laughs> and then like as the years go by you realize no you're like yeah. one of eight billion other yeah. people who's on the average. same path yeah, yeah yeah and you just got to kind of do your thing yeah and that's it be be content with i feel like for me as well like cuz i've i've kind of done a lot my body before like obviously i'm not i've don't really have any like injuries or anything but i realized that like look if i've got 2000 sessions left you know of high level training i want to make them count at the minute so that's why i'm prioritizing the skill stuff and everything else i'm that's where i want to spend my time do you know what i mean and so do you, do you think you will um kind of uh, proactively transition into the gi or you just wait until you feel Oh, you know what? I fancy putting a jacket on. Yeah, I think for me, like, say, you wouldn't like, sort of program it in ahead of time. No, I think, I think, 
what what's interesting to me is like uh, there's you know some of the guys uh, at, at my club for example like laugh at me when I see me in a gay like Tom in a gay like do you know what I mean because I've just become one of these people who does not do gay and I'm just a no gay guy and I, I slightly blame Chris who's like my probably my main instructor because the other instructors do the gay class and whatever right um, but but he he's really invested a lot of time and um, I just love it mainly mainly because of him right now right um, so for me you got one end of the spectrum where the guys, the black belts in, in the gi, come to a no-gi class. They they are mindful of the fact that you might like leg locks, for example. So, And that might not be something that they particularly want to get involved with or do a lot of, right? So they play a different type of game with you, right? Um, and they can negate it. They can shut it all down, and that's all not there. But then, you know, in the gi, it's like, right, you're in my world now. Let's go, you know. So I think if you're a gi guy transitioning into no gi, no gi, gi, you know, they are completely different. They're not the same. I think the cool thing is you can you can always level up something. And right now I'm enjoying leveling up my no gi. I think I, I do jump in the gi now and then. I do enjoy it. I just don't love it. It's not going to, those cold mornings or, this, you know, I'm not thinking, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Do you know what I mean? So I think at the moment, I'm sure it will come back around as it has before. But let's say I, I, I get a lot better at no-gi and I put a jacket on and I'm getting destroyed by blue belts or white belts, I'm going to be like, no, nah, this is a problem and I need to sort this out. And that, I'm sure that will serve as motivation. But yeah. I think it, I, I, for me at the moment, I just want to enjoy, enjoy it and I'm enjoying doing just no-gi at the moment exclusively pretty much. And when the time to put a jacket comes on, it'll come on. And... Um... Do you, do you have any sort of uh, specific or tips for uh, warm up and warm down? Is there anything that you do or not really? Um, it's quite interesting because I actually think a lot of the warm ups that jujitsu clubs do are really like random. They're like schoolyard type. Right, let's run around high knees. Here's this is the... something that Emma mentioned. I don't know whether she mentioned it on the episode or, or after we'd finished, but she said like sometimes they just play football to warm up. Yeah, and she's so, like, I don't want to play football yeah, with a bunch so of ninety kilo men in a it's little. It's just <laughs> random. Like it's kind of just random, and I think that's because it's grounded in the fact that it might be something they always did, and you know maybe just like a knowledge gap where like what what does warm up look like really? But I think it de- depends on people. I think getting you warm can can look like a million different things i think i really like um what some of my coaches do where they don't really do the warm-up per se like a lot of people on their own accord including me will come in 10 minutes early and i'll kind of go through a bit of mobility work just nothing nothing no no like long static stretching or anything like that but just going through graded hip mobility back mobility hamstring mobility, which is something that i think i i where I need to spend that time. So you're kind of like body weight squatting, just rolling, yeah, just and moving around, moving. bit of hip, you know, bit of open up the hips, the groin, hamstrings, etc. Maybe a bit inverting on on my head and my neck, just to prep my neck for a bit of whatever we're going to be doing. And then one of one of my coaches, for example, he does um, a bit of like like some drills, you know, like just you know shin on shin into single leg X, and then swap between legs, sweep, get on top, repeat, you know, and just kind of go through. Or we might do four or five minutes of just like 30%, 40% open guard sparring, you know, just guard retention, bottom and then top. And then we're kind of warm, but we've been moving, mm. you know, and it looks like jiu-jitsu, a bit out of breath, nothing crazy. And then you get stuck in. Like I really like that type of stuff. It just seems to make more sense. Um, or constraints-based learning where you're like, right, you can, you're going to start an exposition, but you can't use right hand. 
So it just makes you think about moving in different ways and stuff like that. I quite like stuff like that. Um, problem solving things. Like that. I think that they're, they're they're probably where I would want to take it. If I if it was my club, I would probably do a bit of a mobility flow, a bit of positional drilling or sparring, like low, super low intensity. Um, and then right, this is what we're getting into. And then we're doing your techniques, whatever you're learning for the day, and then it's kind of sparring. And do you do anything as a cool down or no change um, out of your most people don't gloves. But but I will probably always spend a bit of time again, like I said, like where I I, I mean, I talking like I'm a lot older. I'm only thirty three, right? But I, like I say, I recognise that I do want to look after myself. So at the end, I will go through just a little bit of a static stretch at that point. Just again, my key areas where I know that I'm a bit stiffer historically, or I'll get a bit of a re extra reaction, you know, because I've had surgery in my left knee, for example. So sometimes my left hamstring, left hip get bits bits locked up if I don't cool down. So I just spend that time and and then I'm all right. But I think, yeah, keep it more dynamic and a bit more flowy and pre, and then you can be a bit more long hold duration, static type stuff after. It's not going to negatively impact performance in, in that situation. And, and um, what about uh, sort of nutrition and other supplementary stuff and recovery like therapies supplementation sleep patterns mm. thing. is there is there anything that you have found to be essential useful avoid yeah i think i think for me like we're, you know if you're talking about like a bit of a, a hierarchy of of importance for certain things like your base level of nutrition and that's like energy requirements so like calories and so forth are you consuming enough acutely carbohydrate um, ingestion is probably going to be the thing that acutely makes you feel recovered. And then protein is the legacy, like the the, the part that over a period of the following day, for example, will help you recover and rebuild. Um, Hydration-wise, certainly pre and post, um, like having electrolytes, probably not a bad shout. See, with your coconut water. I just drunk that, any yet. Yeah, just that small one's probably about 50% of your potassium, which is perfect. So, you know, a um, bit of salt, bit of potassium goes a long way hydration-wise, especially sparring, especially recovery. I, I, I kind of wasn't using electrolytes a lot and I've started re-implementing them recently and I, I noticed a huge difference in terms of how I feel in the short and the medium term for sure. Um, sleep is obviously the mecca, so... I'm not against supplementation towards sleep, but I would stay away from CBD and all of that in the long term because it can it's it can disrupt deeper stages of sleep. You can get to sleep um, with it, but you might not necessarily go through all the full full stages. So um, there are supplements that can, like I say, help you get off, and there are supplements that help you stay asleep. Um, there's a million different variations, and I think that might be a trial and error thing um and then beyond that it, it, it will all come down to do what other additional time you have so for example people are quite big on um cold water immersion and and sort of saunas and so forth um cold water immersion ice baths etc probably shouldn't be done within the first four to six hours following a hard session because it will actually blunt your recovery at a muscle level um and then if you have it too late in the day because you warm up after the, you're being cold, that can stop you going into a deeper cycle of sleep. So you want to time that. But certainly like saunas and stuff and steam rooms, things like that can be like really powerful for recovery too. I think it will come down to preference and time. Um, other than that, as long as your nutrition's bang on, I think most people are recovering pretty well. 
and I've, that that's a whole other whole other thing. And something else that we that we talked about again a little bit before we started recording was mm-hmm. um, seeing a therapist on a sort of a semi regular basis because, like I said to you, oh, I, I've, yeah, yeah. I've got an osteopath that mm-hmm. I see. So I, he was recommended to me because I herniated my disc. I, I'd had like a back problem mm-hmm. intermittently a few times. Mm-hmm. And then I did it again at, um, at training and it was really bad. And um, obviously like I kept training and really just trying to sort of get around it, but it was grim. And um, there was a couple of people at, at Mill Hill who said, go and see this guy, Chris. You know, mm-hmm. he's done a bit of jiu-jitsu. He's a boxer. Mm-hmm. He's done various martial arts. He's really good. He's an osteopath. Go see him. So I, I went and saw him and he was excellent. You know, his treatment's very gentle, not a lot of like cracking and mm-hmm. stuff, but very sort of good holistic treatments. And um, I see him every six to eight weeks and this has been like probably six, seven years now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, not dependent on how I feel, just I see him. He says, okay, Bend this way, bend that way, bend forwards, whatever. You're a little bit tight here. Mm-hmm. Your mm-hmm. shoulder's kind of high, whatever. I'm just going to work on this. And then I kind of feel a bit better afterwards. Not n- Sometimes I do. Sometimes I've got something and he yeah, does yeah. it and I feel better and I come out and I'm like, oh, that feels much easier. But usually I just kind of feel like it's just like having a little tune-up. Mm-hmm. Like it's just going to prevent me from slipping into something that's a little bit tight and then a little bit tighter and then a little bit tighter and then it's then I'm bending a funny way and then I'm using my knee wrong and then mm. I'm using my shoulder wrong and then I get another massive injury. Yeah. What are your thoughts on on that kind of um, use of seeing an osteopath, a physio, a therapist, sort of on a on a on a regular basis? Uh, for me, I don't, I don't, I've, I, I gotta be like, there's nothing to say that, like, even therapy, dare I say, out and out will re- reduce your risk of injury or anything like that, right? However, there, there is the objective and the subjective experience of, of everything, right? Like, you have a connection with your body and how you feel, and then you've also put in your body through something that's physical, but certainly if you train, right? Um, probably more so if you train, then proactive healthcare probably is quite powerful. When I look at patients who I see the most, um, they're people that are ironically that, that, again, we get them to a point where, let's say they had an original injury, they're, they're feeling really good, they don't necessarily need to come back. And, and maybe a younger Tom would have said, right, you're, you're fixed. You know, hopefully good habits, good understanding. If this happens in the future, you know what to do, see you later. But actually, nowadays, I kind of leave that narrative quite open. Because I think care can be quite powerful for reasons you've already alluded to, right? Where sometimes for some patients, knowing that they're going to see me in a lot of amount of time that we think is appropriate for wherever they're at, actually keeps them quite accountable to their physical goals. So say like, even if that's to do with weight loss or their physicality or I'm doing a running program and whatever, you know, checking in with me is actually them making sure by X time they've done what we've agreed and we'd said, um, have they done their mobility work or their strengthening work, knowing that they're going to see me and I'm going to be asking them, like, have you done what we spoke about? Uh, yeah, do you know what I mean? So I think that's where it can be really useful. And, and speaking of the subjective, right, you know, pain or niggles do create changes in how we move, right? You know, if you're doing jiu-jitsu, you, 
something's being imposed on you that you didn't necessarily choose and it's different every time, right? So let's say, for example, I don't know, you're getting some horrendous heavyweight, put ridiculous pressure on you and side control and your neck feels a bit stiff and your mid-back feels a bit stiff and, you know, you follow up with me and say three or four weeks' time or something, you could be moving all sorts of wacky in, in, in like a reaction to that pain or you know, a bit of a niggle and so forth. And we can just get on top of those things quite quickly. I think when you've got to the point where you've had a like a major injury or something meaningful, sometimes you're at the mercy of a bit of a biological time frame. Like X thing takes X time to heal and, you know, that's time away from training. I think often, even before, you know, you, you've ever probably been injured, certainly the times that are not... Um, out and out injurious, like someone snapped on a submission or something, but just, oh, I moved and my knee went or I moved and my ankle went or my shoulder or so forth. There were probably warning signs a bit early. Like often when I think back to patients and myself, like, yeah, my shoulder was a bit creaky before I hurt it or my knee was definitely, my hip was a bit stiff before my, my mm. knee felt rubbish. Do you know what I mean? So we kind of can intervene at that stage. And I think that people's subjective experience of their training feels better. I think they feel like they're being looked after. I think there's a platform for them to check in with me, with themselves, keep themselves accountable. You serve as a bit of uh, extrinsic motivation. Like it's quite powerful for that reason. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's something which may be due to cost, maybe due to time constraints, mm. maybe due to not finding a therapist that you really Connect get on with. with. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's something that's very um, overlooked because mm. a lot of people, you know, if you ask them about their training, they'll be able to go into a lot of detail about what they're doing. But then their recovery mm. and their sort of support system stuff, like like a lot of people, um, you know, they'll be able to tell you, yeah, I go, I do these three gym sessions a week and 45 minutes long and I only have one minute, 10 second rest intervals and all of that stuff they know. I do this many rounds and I'm doing no gi yeah, twice. They don't do the same for recovery. Do How they? long do you sleep at night? I don't know. What don't time know. do you go to bed? Well, it depends. What yeah. time do you wake up? Well, it depends what shift I'm working. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and I think that, I think you're forced as you get older to pay more attention to mm. that. Otherwise, you can't do the other stuff. Like, literally, it just comes to the point of, like, my, my knee's broken, I can't even walk, so you definitely can't train. Mm. You know, when you're young, it's the, you've got that kind of leeway, right? Where yeah, there's a body's buffer just there. Like, yeah, it's, a bit more forgiving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it forces you to, to pay more attention to that stuff. But, I mean, certainly for myself, uh, being 50 now, um, a piece of advice that I would give to anyone who's younger is to is to sort of actively start doing that stuff when you don't really feel you need it mm. because you will go much longer, much healthier, much faster, much safer by taking care of the the the, the downtime and the recovery mm -hmm. and the little um, imbalances and injuries and stuff rather than just waiting like you say for a blow up and then you're yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange place because you don't want to create a narrative where it's too internalized, where you're really trying to, oh, I don't feel quite right and I need you to... You go too far the other way, yes. right? And there's definitely those patients, right? I think as long as there's like a, a clear narrative between like a good therapist and a patient and you understand and you can't maybe come with prob specific problems. So, for example, um, I do treat a couple of jiu-jitsu guys who are like, oh, you know, tell my 
jacked my neck up can you have a look and this and that but sometimes they're like oh I, was, I kept getting stuck in this position and I really feel like it jacks my back up and we'll have a look at that position and we'll and in the context of that position think okay what's contributing to that x y and z ah your, your left hip dude is locked up so let's let's build a plan around that, that you can add to what you're doing those yeah. are the patients I really enjoy they come back with oh I was doing this and I I kind of really felt like this was a problem okay let's have a look at that and we break it down you know so that that's always good fun I think if you're you know you're not going in with a sense that you're like a car and you know you constantly need tweaking and stuff but there's this sense of I'm robust I'm strong let's just keep on top of niggles if there's any little you know awarenesses or problems that don't feel normal for you let's just address those early let's continue to build your toolbox to look after yourself so there's still an element of like we're a team it's not me doing it for you it's we're doing this together and I'm helping you do that does that make sense so yeah, you're yeah. still very much involved I think when it becomes fully passive, yes, then I think um, we're probably yeah, missing some you, of the you, value you, of you've therapy. Got to, you've got to uh, ultimately take responsibility mm. for yourself That's and it. for your thoughts and for your actions mm. and your training. And you know, th this was something that my mum said to me um, a long time ago when I was young. She said the 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 point at which you become an adult is the point at which you realize everything in your life you're responsible for mm. that's that's the when you change and some people never do that's no, why some yeah. people never become adults mm -mm -mm. because they constantly are looking for someone else to say oh it's because of this or it's because of that person or it's because this happened to me when i was young or whatever you know at some point for most people you know you do have to realize like Everything in my life is down to me. Yeah. And if I want to change something, I have to change it. Or if I want something to be different, I have to change it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I guess that's that's kind of exactly what you're saying in terms of that balance, mm. that that I can't just turn up and say, oh, you know, this don't feel right or can you do that? Yeah. You know, I want to go there and, and be, like you say, as kind of um, self-healing as possible yeah i think it speaks to the larger narrative about health though doesn't it that we're we're looking for quick fixes we're looking for someone else to do it but actually like a lot of this is 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 about us and that probably extends to like healthy habits generally in fitness training nutrition relationships etc where you have to be actively involved in that process like not what you know people can help you you can you can have your hand held occasionally we all need a bit of a lift in certain certain situations and contexts but you gotta gotta do the work or you gotta crack on so i think especially in, in you know just speaking from my remit anyone who's fully passive in therapy becomes someone who always has therapy indefinitely mm. i'm not interested in seeing patients every week for four years sometimes patients will come see me and say um oh you know my therapist is away on holiday and I, my, my, my back's out of line again i need you to put it back and i'm like oh where's it gone you know what i mean and i'm like okay so how long have you been home for it four years okay and um and, and what's that look like oh he does this this and this i see him every week so in four years, every week, you're no better. I can't tell that patient, what the fuck are you doing? Do you yeah. know what I mean? I can't. Yeah. But because, um, you know, that, that, that I can't devalue their experience and what they've done. But at the same time, I'm like, boy, like you've, you've created yeah. something here. This is, this is, this yeah, is. Yeah, it's a, just a pattern, right? You're greasing that good. groove of my I'm, back goes on a Tuesday, but it's all right because I see my guy on a Thursday. No, nah, I'm not interested in that. So I think like, again, yeah, we, I have a responsibility to say like, look, this is the scope, but I feel like everyone who is involved with me 
we can almost go as far as you want to go. I, I, some patients have gone from being people who were in a lot of pain, people had given up on them, the medical system, you know, maybe just not set up to help that person in a bit more time to, to, to like, you know, a weight loss journey or I now do loads of, I'm a, I do marathons all the time now, Tom, or, you know, I, I'm a better person, I'm happier, I'm not, do you know what I mean? It can be quite powerful, which is why I prefer being in private practice now than when I was working with athletes. Athletes are quite, can be quite, I don't know if any of them all might listen, but I'm not speaking about you, but, um, you know, can be quite entitled and they can, they can want this and that and it can be a little bit too, too myopic, too narrow at times, whereas I've got the scope to really help people very broadly, even in clinic, even as an osteopath. Because even you, I don't know the other osteopaths that you've seen, but you've even felt like he keeps you accountable for multiple things, even mm. though they're outside of maybe his remit or my remit, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice way to look at it. So we, we, got, um, we got married a few years ago, just before the pandemic, in Vegas. Nice. We just went, two of us went to Vegas, yeah, got wicked, married yeah, yeah. in the little chapel. But the, the, one of the things the guy said, he said, uh, marriage is a verb not a noun mm. it's a doing word doing word yeah so every day you have to work at being married it's mm. not just oh we are now married and i thought that was like a nice way to frame it i mean i think that is really though that's that's kind of for me that's the life lesson of jujitsu because jujitsu is like you just have to put in the work mm. there are no shortcuts no. there are no easy routes to get anywhere mm -mm. you know whether it's the route from engaging to getting a leg or getting a back or whether it's the route from being a beginner to being a black belt or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, the, every pathway you go on is difficult and there's a lot of resistance and, you know, and I think it's a good sort of metaphor for, for life. I think that's why... It resonates with so many people, I feel. That's why, I think. I feel like um, jiu-jitsu for one another... Because every time you speak, you meet someone who, who's really invested in jiu-jitsu, they get it. They kind of get it. In a, you almost know straight away, like, oh, you, you know that, like, this is hard and it's hard work and we all go through our, our own respective battles. It's interesting how the pressures of, say, someone who comes in unathletic, no one's got any outward sense that, oh, you're going to be a killer one day. Then the, the, the big jacked bodybuilder good who comes rolling up who used to be wrestle and whatever and they're like oh you know he's going to be a problem but actually like you know the the, the battles that he might face because for example i've got a, a guy at our club um i won't name his name but he's huge six four absolute unit like muscle built 120 30 kilos and um we go you know sometimes but i feel like people will, will, will won't want to engage roles with me because they might assume that i might be physical too but they all duck this one guy and last week we were in class and and it was like five of them just didn't didn't even look at him and i was like guys like he's not gonna hurt you do you know what i mean but so he's got his own battles and problems where he, outwardly he's seen as x there's 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 pressure on him because he's big and he's strong well you guys yeah, because you're strong you know devalue his technique because you're strong because you're big versus someone who's smaller no one has any expectation of but you know, he might have different battles. And my battles were massively ego-driven in the beginning. I've come in, I, I'm strong, I, I know I can do this, and then I'm getting, like, bodied by 70 kilo skinny vegans. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I can't, I can't deal with this, man. This is, this is horrendous. But I feel like whatever lessons that you learn respectively in jiu-jitsu weirdly do carry over to, to, to quite a lot of things. And I think that's why the relationships that you build at jiu-jitsu 
are quite meaningful in a world where we don't meaningfully connect anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. For those reasons, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I've, I've spoken about this loads of times on the podcast, but you, you, you've got, I mean, for, for me, I think there's so many kind of benefits from that that side of things where you've got that sort of struggle mm, to mm. to deal with difficult situations and you know but stay in that sort of space but also you know things things like um have been in a community because one of the one of the um well the in fact it is the uh, main predictor of uh long life is having like meaningful relationships and, and having a lot of close relationships, being in a community. Yeah, just to quickly add on that as well, because even in health, when we look at the broader context of health, the number one thing that keeps everyone involved, nutrition, fitness plans, everything, is the same thing, community-based. Yeah. So um, when I, hopefully this year, I'm going to be involved in like trying to get my clinical situation going up where I've moved to now, but... Um, me and uh, my my mentor Andy, basically our whole philosophy when we open it up is to go more of a community based approach to health generally for those reasons. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because it, you know, yes, it it, it it's retains patients mm. and it's good for business and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but just in itself, be, yeah. you know, I mean, that's why people go to church. That's why yeah. people go to whatever AA meetings because yeah, yeah. once you're in a group of people. You've got that Sharing kind of natural human experience mm, of mm. being in the tribe, going mm. hunting together, you mm. know, eating together, building a new hut together. Mm. So, so there, there's that which I think is very important because so many people these days, you know, especially since COVID, mm. are like work from home. Yeah, open yeah. the laptop, a few Zoom meetings, do this, you know, Don't walk, see walk around the garden. Yeah, they, you just spend your time on your own, mm. and then and then. So the the sort of extrapolation of that, as the you know the Brazilians kind of um, make light of it, but they say you know we, we just hug each other. Mm. That's what jujitsu is. We just hugging. Yeah. But again, a lot of people they don't have a lot of physical contact. Mm -hmm. You may have a partner or no partner. You may have a kid or no kid or mm -hmm. a pet, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you sit at home and you work at home and you yeah. don't really physically touch anyone, which is yeah. really bad for you. And then the sweat to, to physically detox mm -hmm, and the mm -hmm. workout, you know, to, 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 to get those physical benefits. And also, you know, the thing that I, that I, th I think probably is measurable is the grounding of static and stuff. Because mm. I definitely feel afterwards, it's like when you swim in the sea. Yeah. And you get out and you feel like, ah, like everything's gone. It's really interesting you say that because um, I, I speak to some of my patients about this as well. Like, uh, and it's why I found jiu-jitsu, ironically. Because um, when mum passed... Um, I was going to, the, I was over killing the gym because I felt like I, that was my coping thing anyway. So I was doing loads of training. And for me, ironically, exercise like the gym or running or something like that, it's about energy. So if I'm sitting there and I've got energy, I'm like, right, if I went to the gym and I was running, I just expended some, I'm going to feel better. But jujitsu does something completely different. And it does. And I've used this word without even making that connection, but grounds me a bit where I feel like maybe I'm I'm just speaking for myself, that that kind of like different fizzy feeling that I have goes. So I feel like maybe, you know, I kind of certainly with, with some of my, my older male friends, I, those of my male mates that kind of become trapped in this sort of cycle of not seeing their friends, they're just in the work slog, fall into family life, 
they don't have any of that sort of like ability to get that masculine energy that they need out of them or in them or with with surrounded by others who have the same um and i feel like the second i go to jiu-jitsu i'm i'm not that i'm like an aggressive or angry person but i i'm definitely calmer i'm way happier i don't get that from the gym in the same way or, or any other form of training except that yeah and i think that's why i nowadays hold on to my jiu-jitsu time more because i know in the beginning for example my missus won't mind me saying this she you know she didn't she doesn't always understand why like i really need to go on a sunday afternoon you know that's like family time right but after a while she saw actually look tom's a better partner friend you know dad if i'm training so it's definitely like a different expenditure of energy like for 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 all the little layers of that community your friends that those, those interactions with your girl and guy mates that you're rolling with that shared hard time that that effort you know i don't know what it is I, I think that the the other thing with it is um so so what something that you said earlier which i maybe i'll paraphrase is 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 sort of being able to help other people mm. you know in your in the therapeutic mm -hmm. work that you're doing so so interacting with them and you know there's there's other carryovers for them in in other parts of their life not just the physical side but something that ibi who runs resistance said when he was here he said because he his his background was uh, thai boxing and striking or whatever mm. before jujitsu and he said, the striking arts are very selfish. So you basically would have someone else who's holding pads for you mm -hmm. and really getting nothing out of it. And they're holding pads and you're hitting them and you're getting all the benefit. Mm -hmm. Whereas jujitsu is a, a very sort of giving martial art. Like You need both of you. Yeah, you have to give 100% mm. like like to that. your partner and mm -hmm. they give 100% to you. And those are your good yeah. roles, right? I thought of it, that's nice. And I think, I think that, that maybe is that last component because like, you go to war with people, mm. but you are, you are fully sort of committed to that relationship in that five minutes or six minutes mm. or whatever mm. it is mm. where mm. you give everything of yourself to the role and they do as well. And so I think then maybe that it is that last element, which is like the element of service to others mm. that you, you Give know that I've helped my guys out and they know they've helped me yeah. out. And when we both walk out happier, we kind of know it's, it's because that guy helped me out, which mm. gives him a good feeling. And I know he, he's better because of me, yeah. which gives me a good feeling. Cause I it, think, cause it, cause it gradings, right? Obviously, gradients is like a, another thing, right? But I feel, I've, I know certain people that just turn up. Like, I see them there. I might not always get to roll with them. But when at gradients, it's a really interesting environment. It's like a wedding, man. It's good vibes. Like, everyone comes with the intent that's, that's like, warm and nice and everyone knows. And you, you straight away think, good, I know how hard that is. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Regardless of if it's a stripe, two stripes, a belt, whatever, it's massive. All of them, it all feels... And the iron ironically, like, um, uh, uh, we've all been sort of striped up recently, right? And I'll come home and I'll say, oh, to mum, oh, yeah, I got another stripe today. Yeah, we're getting close now. Um, and uh, she's like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, cool. She doesn't get it. People won't get it. But the people who share those mats with you or put in that work with you or experience other martial arts or know of it, they get it. They know. Yeah. And I think that's – so you need others Yes, for all the layers yes. to, to 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 do it, to get better at it, you know, to to enjoy it, to see the success of it, you know, it's, it's quite a 
yeah. wholesome that yeah. you can't not. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Mm. I mean, as, as I, I probably end up saying on three quarters of the podcast, <laughs> everyone should go to jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I feel like they if should, If you can yeah. go, you should go. It will make your life better. Definitely. Just, yeah, just be content with the idea that you might not have a clue for a while and take some time to get, you, you're, you'll get beaten up for a bit. And then... Like life. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, I'm probably you, you'd know um, from the osteopathy side mm -hmm. and, and from now having a little girl, something that my, uh, Chris says to me often about infant development exercises. Mm -hmm. um, but an another thing that I, f I feel is a, is, a, is a really nice benefit of jiu-jitsu is that basically you're doing infant development exercises with someone else. It's grounded in play, isn't you're it? You're rolling around on the floor. Mm. I mean, you take two, three-year-olds, you mm. put them mm. in a room and you say, right, I'll be back in half an what hour. What are they doing? They're rolling. Yeah, that's it. They wrestle straight away. Of course. So, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's that natural child-like behaviour mm. of, okay, like, yeah. most, let's see. Let's most see what's going to Most learning and development happens during play. So it's ironic that jiu-jitsu is inherently playful. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite a, quite a, I just think it's such an interesting sport. Like when, when you look at it outwardly from before, before I even knew about it, I was just like, what is that? And even sometimes my missus is like, it just looks like nothing's really going on. Yeah. And you're like, no, 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 but you don't get it. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, so yeah, it is interesting. I, I, uh, I, I just wish I'd, I did it earlier. I just think just because I felt like, only because I feel like I could then have more time doing it. Do you know what I mean? But there's no reason why I can't obviously do it. Definitely. Yeah, train smart and you just, you just keep That's what keep I hope, going. yeah. That's what I hope. Well, I think that's probably a really good place to, yeah, nice. to roll it up. It's been a, it's been a fantastic conversation. Yeah, thank really you very much it. for coming down. I yeah, really appreciate for, uh, your thanks time. Thanks for having me down. I need to uh, say thanks to uh, Dom and make a little visit at Mil uh, Militar for, to uh, get yeah, some thank, rolls in. As long as they're no gear, we're all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they do know you, right? Yeah, no, so, know. Thanks for the hookup, Dom. And um, so how can people follow you and get in touch with you? Um, I suppose if people had any like specific questions regarding training, nutrition, anything like that, even injury-based, I suppose the best thing to do is uh, grab me on Instagram at my sort of fitness handle, which will be at Sparks Power Fitness. Um, but at Sparks Power is just like my normal private that's if you want to see pictures of my door or something <laughs> so it's at sparks power or at sparks power fitness yeah and I'll then put, it, i'll put links in the show notes if it's like clinical based stuff and you wanted to see me in clinic then uh, i'm operating out of formula health in pangborn um in sort of south oxfordshire so that'll probably be the place to catch me in and you that and potentially you could do something yeah, like loads of stuff for, remote, especially yeah. for jiu-jitsu people yeah yeah whatever people wanted yeah i yeah. can do remote um in person whatever works best really beautiful Nice. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming down. Um, thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. This was a, this was a great one. So, um, yeah, don't forget to follow the podcast. At White Basement Pod on Instagram is the best place, but um, White Basement Pod on YouTube, on Rumble, on Spotify, various places. Um, if you enjoyed it, give us some feedback. Um, if you've got anyone who you think I should get on the podcast, let me know. Um, I have and, one for you, uh, I reckon. Say again? I reckon I've got one for you. Beautiful. That's what I need. That, that's the universe kind of just, <laughs> if, if, I'm, if I'm going in the right direction, the universe gives me people. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening, guys, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Rap, 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 yeah. Yeah. Rap is such a competitive sport. Uh -huh. And my glass is still on. It's the incredible dog. Uh -huh. <laughs> they want to try me like the federal car, but I'm unashamed of the gospel. I never retort. That's the rap is a whack